Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Today is different for us. If you haven't already figured that out, just kind of walking around, it's the first day of VBS. A vacation Bible school is one of the most exciting weeks of the year because there's so much activity, there's so many things going on. I love this week, I love the week leading up to it because there are people here all week. Uh, the building is kind of a buzz with activity, people coming and getting rooms set up and preparing lessons. And, and then this week, uh, we'll have literally hundreds of children on our property uh, starting this morning and then every night uh, through Thursday night, 6 to 8.30, our kids will be hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And so we're excited about that. Uh, We're encouraged by that. We love the activity. We put a lot of time and effort and resources into this week because we get this audience with these kids. We get this chance now to share the gospel with them every single night, and we'll have more salvations this week than any other week of the year for us. It's because we put so much time and effort, and the Lord blesses that, and it's a big evangelistic week for us, and we're excited to do that. It's not too late. If you have kids, you're like, oh, I missed it. I didn't know we were out of town. It's not too late. If they're not part this morning, they can come tomorrow night and jump right in. There's plenty of space for them, uh, plenty of opportunities. You can just be here a little bit early tomorrow night, probably 545, and register them. And they can be part of that for the rest of the week. And then this summer, so much going on, right? School's officially out now, and we're excited about that. But summer, there's so much going on, so many things happening, starting with VBS. And then we've got uh, Rockridge and Cavola. we got uh, Pine Mountain VBS next week. we got mission trips coming up uh, through the month of July to Africa and to India and up to Boston. And so just a lot of activity, a lot of things going on, really neat to be part of. I ask for you to be praying for that and uh, encourage people that are part of that, be involved if you can. But I wanted to spend this morning... If you're uh, new with us or this is the first time you've been in a while, we've been working through the book of Exodus. And I'm loving it. I'm excited about it. We're going to start back next week and really finish up over the course of the next several weeks before the end of the summer. But I wanted to step outside of Exodus for a little while this morning because our, our emphasis today and this week and really for the next several weeks will be children. We get this opportunity to teach them and take them to camps and take them on mission trips. And so I just wanted to kind of set Exodus aside for a few minutes and think about children, what the scripture teaches about children, and specifically now how we can apply this to our lives. Like what, what should we be doing? What are the things we ought to be doing as a church? What are the things we ought to be doing in the home? How can we understand what the Lord teaches and how can we now live this out? The interesting thing about Scripture you'll see over and over is that oftentimes in the Bible, the people that follow the Lord are called children, right? So, so we see this distinction oftentimes in Scripture that we are children of God. Other phrases, children of light, children of the Lord, children of the promise. We're beloved children. We're dear children. So we we get this idea that the Lord loves children and he sees believers oftentimes as children. We're going to think through that here a little bit together in just a minute. But Carl Barth, 
who's a very famous theologian, said this. He said the most profound theological truth he ever learned as a child was that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Sometimes we make it too complicated, don't we? Sometimes we make it way too complicated. I think it's important for us to remember, especially weeks like this, that the Lord loves us, the Lord loves children, and there's some simple things we ought to be doing for him. So in our text today, in Matthew chapter 19, there's this beautiful picture of Christ that's been painted, and specifically his love for children. I know we haven't been working through Matthew, we're just kind of jumping in, so I want to give you just a little bit of background to kind of understand what's happening and why what's happening matters in the context that it's happening because Jesus at this point in his ministry is walking to Jerusalem. Now that, that might seem kind of obvious to you because we kind of understand the, the life of Jesus and how he ended up in Jerusalem and the crucifixion and we know that story. But what you probably may not know that happened before that is that Jesus did a lot of ministry with large groups of people before he ever really explained to them what he was going to do. And so you kind of see the, the ministry of Jesus looking like this, right? He started to do these miraculous things, and the crowds would grow, right? More and more people would come to hear Jesus, to see Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to get fed by Jesus. And so you see these crowds are growing and growing and growing until Jesus kind of lets him know, listen, ultimately, I'm not here to give you food, right? I'm doing that now because I want to bless you. I want to use this opportunity to teach you. So I'm doing these incredible things. But the ultimate reason I'm here is to give my life for the Father. And so we see in Matthew chapter 16, 21, here's what the scripture says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, listen, and be killed and on the third day be raised. So if you were kind of graphing the ministry of Jesus Christ, and especially the size of his crowds, we would go from very small to the crowds are getting larger, 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 larger. Jesus explains his mission, why he's here, he's going to go to Jerusalem, and those numbers just kind of tank, right? Because people are like, mm, I'm happy with the loaves and the fish, happy to see you walk on water, happy to hear your teaching, but you know I'm going to Jerusalem now and being crucified, I'm out. And so the ministry begins to change. So the disciples processing through this, trying to understand this, kind of push back against Jesus. We're not going to let that happen. So there's this kind of inner dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. But the disciples start kind of asking these questions. They want to know more about what Jesus is talking about. They want to better understand what he's going to accomplish. And listen, they've got this mindset that Jesus is going to eventually be established as a king. Now, this is important for where we're going here in Matthew 19 in just a second. They've got this mindset, Jesus is going to reign as king. And so they ask him in Matthew 18, 1, and we're leading up to chapter 19. They ask him at that time, Matthew 18, 1, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? They're looking ahead to when Jesus is the king, when he's been established on the throne, when he once and for all kind of kicks the Romans out and the Jewish people can take over again. They're looking to that moment. They're excited for that moment. They're hopeful for that moment. They're part of the inner circle. They're kind of looking at each other like, who's going to be second in charge? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? Who's greatest, Jesus? And then we get to 19 and we get this idea that Jesus has a different plan, right? 
And I think it's significant for us to understand kind of in the context of these verses that sometimes our plan for grandeur and our plan for our own personal greatness is not exactly what Christ has in mind for us. And I know that's hard to hear sometimes because I'm talking to myself just like I'm talking to you. But Christ has a, there's a different economy in heaven. There's a different hierarchy, right? It's different in the kingdom of the Lord than it is on the kingdom of earth, right? And so we get to this point where they've been thinking about Jesus going. They've been thinking about king. They've been thinking about greatness, the importance of what Jesus is doing. More importantly, we'll see in just a second, their own personal selfishness, how they can kind of fit into this, how they can gain notoriety themselves. And then we come to Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. We're going to look at these three verses. Then children were brought to him. This is Jesus. That they may lay hands, that he might lay his hands on them and pray, right? So they're bringing children to Jesus. They know who he is. They know his significance. They've seen the miracles. They understand. They're bringing these kids to Jesus so he can lay hands on these children and pray. Look at the next verse, the next sentence. The disciples rebuked the people. Man. But Jesus said in verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. Now I want to think this morning about three perspectives. I want to think about the perspective of the parents of these kids. I want to think about the perspective of the disciples. And I want to think about the perspective of Christ. I think there's something we can learn in all three perspectives. Here's the first one I want you to see. Number one, the perspective of the parents was to bring the children to Christ. Right? The perspective of the parents is they see Jesus, they understand Jesus, they're seeing the significance of what he's done, what he's done and how he's led and how he's teaching. They want to bring their children to Jesus, right? Now we know this because kids can't come on their own. Right, we get that. We understand that children are kind of beholden to their parents. But we see in verse 13, it's pretty clear. Pull 13 back up again. I want you to understand what's happening here. We're not adding anything into the text. We're pulling out. The children were brought to him. Right, somebody's bringing these kids. Somebody recognizes the importance of what's going on. Somebody's seeing who Jesus is. Somebody wants their kids to be near Jesus. Right? So kind of this point of application is parents, as leaders, as teachers... It's important for us to bring, or maybe more significantly, to lead our kids to Christ. Right? We're not saying the kids were left on their own and they were just hopeful that they may encounter Jesus. There is intent here. Somebody is bringing these kids to Jesus. Now look, we live in a society that's... that's I don't know how to describe it anymore, right? I'm not sure a word you could use to describe society. When it comes to children, there is a mindset out there, and I'm sure you've heard it and seen it, that says something like this. Listen, we're just going to let our kids decide what they want to do. You hear it a lot now with sexuality and gender. That's kind of the buzz thing that's going on. We're just going to let our kid decide. We're going to let our kid make the choice. Uh, we're going to let them kind of think through it and, and see all the different options. We're going to teach them, even as young as pre-K and kindergarten, all that, and you've seen this, I'm sure, all the different options, all the different things they can do. Then we're going to let them decide what they want to do. Now, I, I've got four kids. 
So I think I can speak with a little bit of authority here. But I'm telling you, before a kid reaches the age of I don't even know yet, because I'm not sure we're there, they don't fully make good decisions. Amen, parents? And I was also a kid, and I remember how I used to think or lack thereof. And, and my dad sitting right here can probably give some pretty good examples of how I didn't used to think when I was a kid. The idea that we're going to let a young child make a decision of any sort of magnitude that matters in their life is foolish at a young age. Now, look, we want kids to, to start working through that process and help them make decisions, but parents are there to guide. You understand? Parents are there to lead. I've always wanted to ask these people that want to give their kids the choice in some of these matters. Great, that's fine. Let's give them the choice in other things. And, hey, if I'd asked Jonas last year when he got up early in the morning one day, hey, you want to go to school today? No. Great, son. You know what? I'm going to let you make your own decision. I'm happy for you to decide. Do you want to go any more the rest of the year? No. No, I'll just stay at home and play video games. That's what he would do if I let him, right? Most of our kids would. We don't give them the choice to do that. You don't, you don't give your kid the choice. Hey, you want to go to the dentist and get your teeth clean? Absolutely not. I, don't, I do not want to do that. I don't like that, right? Dentists are great, Ben, but we don't always want to go see them and be around them, right? We love them, but not all the time, every day. They wouldn't go if given the choice, right? Hey, you want to eat your vegetables or you want to drink a Coke and a donut, right? We know the choice they would make. We, we get that. And so we kind of we understand logically, intuitively, that we've got to help guide our kids, right? Well, we need to see the same thing with Jesus, with Christ. Listen, I'm just telling you, parents, you shouldn't give your kids the option whether or not they want to go to church. It's just not their choice. They're children. You need to say to them, listen, we're, we're going to church. You don't need to give them the choice where you're going to have time of prayer before meals. You're just going to do it. You're not going to give them the choice. Hey, we're going to spend some time tonight as a family studying God's Word. You're just going to do these things. You're going to lead them. You're going to, in the words of Scripture, bring these kids to Jesus. You understand that? Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to bring these children to Jesus. It's up to the parents. Now, some of y'all are probably thinking, listen, my kid's still too young. they got plenty of time. I've heard this from people. When they get a little bit older, maybe middle school or high school, then we're really going to start teaching them and training them because then they're old enough to, to know and understand. I'm telling you, man, kids are sponges immediately. They're already listening. They're, I had a conversation with somebody this morning about their young children and how they're already taking things in. And we don't think they're listening, but they are. In fact, studies say that statistically a child by the age of about 12, 13, 14 is pretty much got all of their main beliefs solidified. Like after the age of 14 or 15, most of the core beliefs of a kid won't change. It, it does happen occasionally, but it's not normal. So if you're waiting until they're 12 or 13 to kind of start talking to them about Jesus or leading them to church, you've already missed it. We need to be intentional with our kids. We need to see what these parents did. We need to be doing it. So I'm going to give you three practical ways we can lead our kids toward Christ. The first one, you need to lead by example at home. You need to lead by example at home. Your kids are watching. And they're not just watching what you say out in public. Right? They're watching what happens behind closed doors. And look, we're a normal family too. I promise we get mad at each other and say things we shouldn't say. I promise. It happens in the camp household too, so I get it. But if we're not leading by example at home, they're not going to get that. They're not going to see you saying the right thing in public and living a different life at home. They need to understand that what you talk about and the things of the Lord are significant enough to you that you're going to live them out in the house. 
That's not to say we're not going to make mistakes. We're not going to do things we shouldn't do. We're not going to say things. We, we're going to make mistakes. Man, we're going to be sinful. Every day we're going to drop the ball on some level. But it means slow and steady wins the race. We're going to have this onward, upward progress in my home. We're going to continue to talk about Jesus. We're going to put Christ first. These things matter to dad. These things matter to mom, right? We may fail sometimes, but we're going to continue to march forward. We want you to know, kids, that this is important enough for us to spend time thinking about it, praying about it, living it out. we got to lead by example, right? Dads, you need to be leading by example in the home. Moms, you need to be leading by example in the home. We are called to shepherd and disciple our children. We are called to bring our children to Christ. What are we doing about it? All right, perspective of the parents, right? We see the lead by example. Another thing we can do is we think about what we, what we can be thinking about and moving towards in our home. We can pray for our kids, right? We lead by example by letting them see how we're going to do things to see that it matters to us. We're going to live it out in our home. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to pray for our children. I've said this before. I said it last week. I'm telling you, I say it all the time because it's so significant to me. If you're not praying for your children, probably nobody else is either. Because I love y'all, but I, I mean, I'm not praying for all your kids every night. We get that, right? And so there's this very real truth that if you're not praying for your children, there's probably nobody out there praying for them. And so you need to take this seriously. You need to understand the significance of it. You need to lead in such a way that they see it at home. Dads, your kids need to hear you praying. Moms, your kids need to hear you praying. They need to see that this matters in the home, right? So we're leading by example at home. We're praying in front of them. Prayer is significant in our house. Third practical way is we're going to bring them to church. All right, we're going to be intentional with how our family works, with the, with the rhythms of our family and the times and the things that we do. We're going to spend the time we need. We're going to set aside the time we need in order to bring our children to church. Now, let me just be very clear about this. It is the responsibility of the parent to disciple the child, period, full stop. Hey, one day my, the Lord's not going to ask me about discipling your children. He's not going to ask me that question. He'll ask me about discipling my children. So it's your responsibility, but the church is here to help you. Right? We want to partner with you. We, we want to walk this path beside you. We've got great resources. We've got great people. We've kind of been there, done that on a lot of different levels. And so we want to help you. We want to be involved as much as we can. We want to teach and train your children. But it's ultimately your responsibility. And so one of the ways you do that is you bring them to church. You let them get involved. You see the importance of church. You see the significance of a small group. They learn these things as a kid. And as they get older, it just becomes second nature to them, right? Come second nature, the importance and significant significance of what we're doing here at church. Right. So, perspective of the parent first, very clearly, we're bringing our children on a lot of different levels to Jesus. Now, let's look at the verse again, Matthew chapter nineteen, thirteen. The children were brought to him. Right, somebody's bringing them. There's the intentionality brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. Right, he sees the significance of that as well. Now, here's the second part: the disciples rebuked. The people. Here's the second perspective of the disciples. We're going to keep the children away, right? So the parents want to bring them. The disciples are going to rebuke these people and try to keep these children away. You're like, how in the world can these disciples want to keep these kids away from Jesus? Okay, well, let's take a step back and remember the context, right? 
These disciples are followers of Jesus. They've been walking with him. They've been seeing his ministry. They've been seeing all these incredible things happen. They've been seeing his notoriety, right, growing with people. He's now told them, I'm going to go back into Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to raise again on the third day. In their minds, they're thinking, as the Jewish people did for centuries, that Messiah was going to be a king, a political leader, a powerful emperor. And so they're thinking in their minds, listen, Jesus is about to head to Jerusalem. He's going to be reinstalled as the king, as the ruler, as the emperor, who's greatest, right? We saw that a few verses ahead. They're thinking ahead. They're thinking about how they can be involved in that picture, how important they're going to be, it all boils down very simply to selfishness, right? So watch. Their selfishness, thinking about what they wanted, hindered the children, at least they wanted to hinder the children from coming to Jesus. Now fast forward, I'm going to put this right in your lap. How does your selfishness keep your kids from Christ? I'm going to step on your toes, so deep breath, exhale. How often do we choose to do something other than church? Because we're selfish. Well, you know, i got to get to the lake house because i got to get the, the dock painted and i got to get the boat ready for what? I get it. Listen, I, lake houses are nice, man. I get it. The lake is nice. But sometimes our selfishness will keep our kids, because your kid's not driving from the lake house to church to Sunday school. You're not driving from the lake house to Wednesday night, our town kids. So if we're not careful, our, our selfishness, right? I don't have time to, to do any sort of Bible study or prayer tonight. There's a game on, and i got to spend some time watching this game, my favorite team, whatever that might be for you, whatever time of the year, whatever season, whatever sport. I'm going to spend time watching kids. You go on to bed, I'll, I'll catch up with you in the morning, and I'll talk about it tomorrow night with you, right? Our selfishness keeps our children from the things of the Lord. Now, on and on that list goes, right? And, and you could all probably fill that in a thousand different ways. I could fill that in a thousand different ways. But if we're not very careful, our selfishness and our desire to do different things will keep our children from the Lord if we're not careful. Right? Just, just think about all the activities that we're involved in. Sports, dance, art, music. All those things are great. I love all those things. They're good for our kids, they need to be involved in those types of things. They help our kids be well-rounded, understand how to be in a, in a group and, and interact with society. And when things don't go their way, they got to figure that out. I think that's great for our kids. But when we're setting all those things ahead of the things of the Lord, we're missing it here, right? And look, I'm going to, again, step on your toes. I, I, think I, I think I can speak with some certainty here. I think a lot of people live out their own personal dreams through their kids, And when we do that, we're robbing our children of some things. And so I, th I think the perspective of the disciples ought to, ought to rattle around in our head a little bit. And I think we ought to be brutally honest with ourselves. You may not say this out loud. You may not say this to your spouse. But you kind of look yourself in the mirror and you ask the question, am I doing selfish things that are keeping my kids from Christ? Now, listen, let, let me give you just a, a little bit of hope here, Right? Because it's very easy as parents to think, man, there, there's so much going on. There's so many things I, I'm involved in. Uh, there, there's so much that can happen in our lives. There, there's so many other activities. Let, let me just encourage you. Oftentimes, as parents, uh, we take a look back and we think, man, I really messed that up. 
um, I really dropped the ball, and that's very normal. But listen, it's never too late to start. Did you know that? Never too late to start. You may say, man, I, you're right. You're preaching right to me. This is me. This is me. I'm the disciples. I'm selfish or I'm busy or, you know, fill in the blank. We've all been there, done that, right? But I'm so busy with things. I've kept my kids from the things of the Lord. And it's very easy for us just to kind of throw our hands up and just, well, whatever. It's too late now. It's not too late. One day is better than no days, right? One week is better than no weeks. One month, one year. Start now. Just kind of flip the script and say, we had not done a good job up to this point. Lord, forgive me. Help us to move forward. You know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to forgive you. That's why Christ came. And so we see this opportunity, we see this chance to maybe for the first time be confronted with kind of who we are and some of our personal struggles and realize we need to make some changes, we need to do something different, right? So perspective of the parents, they wanted to bring them, perspective of the disciples, they want to keep them away. Here's the third thing, look at verse 14, but Jesus, isn't that a great way to start a verse? (laughs) But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Here's the perspective of Jesus. He wanted to show them love and humility. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he loves these kids. Now, now children can be a, a great blessing and a great joy, and they can also cause total frustration, right? We know that. And they can do the same in one sitting sometimes. Amen, right? Dinner can go from really high to really low back to really high. We've all been there, done that. Right? We, we, we get that. We see that. We understand that. But I want you to understand what the Lord sees in these children. I want you to understand the significance that they have for them because he makes this comment at the very end of 14 that, that really ought to matter to us. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them for watch. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. What are you talking about to such, right? What is he talking about? To, to children, is, is the kingdom of heaven just for kids? No. What, what most scholars kind of argue and, and believe here is that Jesus is basically saying that, and I said this kind of early in the sermon, that followers of Jesus should be like children. So we have some characteristics of children. I'm going to give you just a few of those characteristics that we see in children, and maybe we think about how we flesh those out in our lives. One of the things we see about kids is they're totally dependent on somebody else. The younger they are, the more dependent they are on somebody to feed them, to clothe them, to take them places, to teach them, so on and so forth. Right? We should, as followers of Christ, be completely dependent on the Lord. What what does our dependency look like? Are we truly relying on Christ for all things? Or are we relying on our own strength and our own wisdom and our own ability? Another thing children do, and you kind of get this when you hear some of these funny pictures, they just have this belief that this is real. Total faith. I I love the little two angels in Jesus, right? Theologically, we can discuss that, maybe a different story. But it's really cute, right? Her heart is in the right place. Right, she just believes. Right, we're filled with questions and concerns and gripes and so on and so forth. Children just have this belief in the Lord. So how trustworthy do we see Christ? Do we, do we trust him enough with everything in our lives? Do we trust him with our finances? Do we trust him with our job discussion and situation? 
Do we trust him with our spouse and with our children? What sort of trust do we put in the Lord? And then, and then I want to kind of see this idea of humility here. Children are humble. And I think it's very interesting that this story is sandwiched here, right? Context matters in the scripture. This story is sandwiched between what we just talked about a few minutes ago, the idea of the greatest and who's going to be the greatest and who's going to be number one. And then verse 16 of this chapter, we talk about the rich young ruler, right? So right between who's going to be the greatest, who's going to lead with Jesus, the rich young ruler who doesn't want to give up anything, sandwiched right in the middle is Jesus saying, look, look at these kids right here. Look at these children. To these belong the kingdom of heaven. To these belong the kingdom of heaven. These that trust and are faithful and are humble that I desperately love. And so we see these interesting divisions here, right? We see these interesting ideas from the parents to the disciples to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you and I want to challenge you with this idea very simply that the Lord loves children. And so in my opinion, as the pastor of this church, we can never... We can never spend too much money or allocate too many resources or have too many people that are willing to teach our children. We can never do too much because we're raising up this next generation, right? And the world they're going to move into is very different than the world we're living in. And so we need people, right? We need parents at home that are serious about their faith. We need parents that are bringing their kids to Christ, that are bringing their children to church. Watch. We need people within this body, within this fellowship, that are willing to serve as well. Did you know one of the hardest things we do every single year is find people to serve in our preschool children's department? Did you know that? I mean, Philip and his team do a phenomenal job. But it's difficult to get people to teach choice. difficult for John to get people to teach youth. It's hard. It's not an easy thing for us to do. Why? I don't know. I've never fully understood that myself. I get it. There's a lot going on, and I want to be involved in this, and I'm too busy. And I get all that, but, man, the resources we have ought to be allocated. Why? Because Christ loved these kids. He wanted these kids to come to him. We need to partner with our parents in any way possible as a church to teach these children the things about the Lord. Because the thing about kids is we're not going to get a second chance with them, right? They're going to grow up pretty fast. And one of these days, we're going to be looking back on our own kids, and we're going to realize that the time just kind of flew by, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, did I do enough? Did I do enough to lead and to shape and to mold my kids into the image of Christ? G.K. Chesterton, who's a very famous English writer of the late 19th century, some of you may have read things he said. I'm I'm going to read a quote, and I'm reading it within the context of a larger quote from a book. Here's what Chesterton Chesterton said. He said, we tend to have trained soldiers because they fight better. Trained singers because they sing better. Trained dancers because they dance better. Yet our civilization has decided, and very justly decided, that determining the guilt or innocence of men is a thing too important to be trusted to trained men. When it wishes for light upon that awful matter, it asks men who know no more law than I know, but who can feel the things that I felt in the jury box. When it wants a library cataloged or the solar system discovered or any trifle of that kind, it uses up its specialists. But when it wishes anything done which is really serious, it collects 12 ordinary men standing around. The same thing was done, if I remember right, by the founder of Christianity. 
A similar statement might be made regarding the training of children in the Christian faith. Now watch. Though professionals may partner with parents in this task, such a vast and serious undertaking as a child's discipleship is too significant to be relinquished completely to professionals. God has selected specific, ordinary people for this assignment, and these people are known as mom and dad. The primary formation of a child's faith is not a job for specialists. It's a job for parents. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. What are you doing for this generation? What are we doing to reach these kids, to train these kids, to lead these kids? And so we're going to do something a little bit different during our time of invitation. We're going to have a normal invitation. Our worship team is going to come out of here in just a second. I'm going to challenge you. I want you to come forward and pray for these kids. You may not be praying. You're like, I don't know any of their names. It's okay. The Lord does. You may not know any of the leaders or any of the kids or any of the names or any of the details. It doesn't matter. The Lord does. I want people praying for the salvation of these kids. I want people praying that the Lord would use them to impact eternity in the kingdom of the Lord. I want people praying for our leaders, that they would be bold and wise in the things that they say as we shepherd and train the next generation for Christ. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love for children. We thank you for uh, this text that very clearly outlines different perspectives, Father. I pray that we would have the perspective of these parents to bring these kids, setting aside our own selfishness like the disciples, Father. And I pray we would see these children for the importance of who they are through the eyes of Jesus, loving them, seeing their humility, wanting to serve them and lead them. So, Father, I pray for this week especially, use this time to impact the lives of these kids. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.